we exalt you again. And we will continue into eternity exalting you. Because your body has borne our sins. You suffered separation from the Father so that we would never have to taste that feeling, to experience that. We have fellowship and we give you praise because of it. Lord, as we go into the, uh, <clears throat> into the sermon time today, I know a sermon like this does not speak directly to the American situation. And yet, it's such a privilege to be able to talk about people that have given everything. It's a privilege to be able to know that we're family with those that are suffering even now, that are in dark places, that are under lock and key, that wonder if they'll be alive tomorrow. It's a privilege, and it's an emotional thing to think about that, to consider them. But that's what we want to do this morning. Turn our attention on those that are willing to give it all for your kingdom. So help us do that at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may have followed the story of Asia Bibi. Um, Asia is a Pakistani woman who's been in prison for the last seven years. She's a mother of five. And seven years ago, she was working, and she had these uh, Muslim co-workers with her, and she offered one of them a drink of water. And the co-worker said, I won't take that water. You've touched it. You're a Christian, and that water is unclean. And so Asia and the woman had a conversation, but the conversation ended with the co-worker turning her into the police, saying that she blasphemed the prophet of Islam. Asia went to prison. In 2011, she was condemned to death by hanging. So she sits and she waits. That same year, 2011, her lawyer was assassinated. That same year, the friend who took in her family was assassinated. And there she sits as the years tick by. She's sent appeals. And in October of this year, the judge denied, well, said there wasn't sufficient evidence to listen to the appeal. So the appeal is now delayed. And yet, her neighbors are still calling for her execution. And so she sits and she waits here seven years later in a Pakistani prison. This is the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ in countries where freedom is not prevalent. Freedom of religion is not the way that country operates And what I want to do this morning is call your attention to one of the first martyrs of the Christian faith. I invite you to turn to the book of Acts. Our story starts in Acts chapter 6. 
It's a powerful story because in Acts 6, it's a story of racism in the church, in the early church, because there's a group of Jewish widows that are getting everything they need from the church. The church has promised, we're going to take care of our widows, as they should. And yet there's a group of widows that are not being taken care of. And it's causing these huge problems in the church. What are we going to do? And so the apostles find out and they say, let's get seven guys together and they're going to tackle this problem. And so the church says, that's a great idea. Let's choose our best guys. So they chose seven of the best. And they said, you handle this. One of those men was Stephen. Stephen. Another one was Philip, another well-known guy in the book of Acts. But Stephen's who we're talking about this morning. We will get to Philip actually at the end. Stephen, known as a man who was full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit. He performed signs and wonders, it says. I mean, this guy, this guy was doing incredible things in the church. And then one day he started talking to Jewish people about the Christ. And then he got in trouble. And he had to go see the high priest. And as he stood before the high priest, full of the Holy Spirit, he starts giving this incredible speech. Maybe it's a sermon, but it's definitely a speech. And he goes back to the beginning. And he says, I want, I want to talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I want, I want to talk about Joseph. And I want to talk about Moses. He goes through all their history. And he lands on Moses. And he's like, you know how the people gave Moses a hard time? Yeah, that was really rough on Moses. And he's just telling their history, that the great people in the Jewish faith and how the people of Israel always gave their leaders such a hard, hard time. And one of the reasons he did that was because one of the accusations made against him was, uh, you're going to destroy the temple and you don't want us to follow Moses. You want to do away with Moses' customs. And, And so what he says is, no, There's actually someone, Moses predicted someone would come. A Messiah would come. Moses said it. And I'm just here to tell you, we know who that is. But then he said these words. you, You can imagine the crowd, the group, the high priest, they're all listening. And they're all, uh, quiet. But then he says this. Look at this with me. We'll actually jump over to, uh, chapter 7, verse 51. you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And I imagine Stephen had some more things to say, but they cut him off, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed at him. Then they cast him out of the city 
And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want to say a few things about Stephen that are also true of those in the persecuted church today. I want to say that they are full of the Spirit. I mean, these people that are getting persecuted, they're, they're brave. Certainly, I'm sure they deal with fear as well, but, but they hold true to the faith. But they're all, as, as much as they're full of the Spirit, they're also full of suffering. And, and that's the life of Stephen. Full of the Spirit, full of suffering doing miraculous wonders, speaking boldly about the kingdom. And yet, at the same time, as full of the Spirit as he was, he was also full of suffering and became a martyr. A few things I want to say about Stephen this morning. Number one, uh, Stephen displayed in his body the unjust death of Jesus. You'll notice a few things the passage we just read said. Uh, it said, first of all, they took him outside the city. Well, where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city. Why outside the city? Well, I'm sure they weren't thinking of it when they killed Jesus. But on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, they confessed their sins on a goat, killed the goat, and then the Old Testament law says you take the body of the goat outside the city and you burn it. You have to go outside the city with the animal that has the sins and then dispose of it. It's taken outside. Stephen was taken outside. And the point is, Christians around the world are being taken outside. They're being taken to these places where it's uncomfortable where it's hard, where the threats come, where death comes, where imprisonment comes, and it's outside the city. It's a place where, you, if it wasn't for Christ, you would feel alone in that place outside the city. And yet Stephen could look up and see Jesus, and he knew he wasn't alone. In fact, he could see where he was going to be in a few moments. But not only that, but uh, you also notice that when they're doing what they're doing to Stephen, he says a few things. One of the things he says is, um, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this sin. He said he cried out in a loud voice so they could all hear him. Who's that sound like? Don't hold this sin against them. Well, that's Jesus. So again, we see an echo of Christ's death. I think there's one more. He says also, receive my spirit. And again, the cool thing is, he, he knows right where his spirit's going because he could actually see into heaven at that moment. So you're supposed to read this and think, look at the similarities between Stephen and Jesus. Stephen is like Jesus. He's following in the footsteps of Christ. We all know we're supposed to take up our cross and follow Jesus, but for some people, taking up their cross means walking in a, a, a death march. For some people, taking up your cross means I'm going to my death. For us, we like to think of taking up our cross, and it's true, that we crucify the self, the old desires, the sinful nature. But for others, it is a march of death. 
Stephen displayed in his body the unjust, unjust death of Jesus. What Christian martyrs do is they show the world, look, you've killed me for no good reason, just like you killed Jesus for no good reason. This is an unjust death. It is a proclamation of the gospel when a Christian is killed. It is a proclamation of the gospel. And I I always think, you and I will never do it that well. As great as it might be to be able to give your life in that way. Paul calls it the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Okay. That's number one. Number two. Uh, Stephen announced God's judgment and his forgiveness. There's kind of an awkward moment, right? You know, he's telling Israel's history. He's talking about Moses. And you're kind of thinking about it going, yeah, he's defending himself. I get it. I mean, you're, you're issuing a defense of yourself when you say Moses predicted the Messiah. And Jesus is the prophet like Moses. I mean, that's all good defense. But then he starts saying, you guys killed him. You murdered him. You know, you guys are the vipers. You know, he starts getting really personal. And, and that's when they get angry and they take him outside the city. He announces God's judgment. But he also announces God's mercy. And it's a reminder for us because we love talking about God's mercy and love and forgiveness. But we can't forget to tell the bad news as well. That without Christ, there's wrath and judgment, eternal separation from God in hell. That's the bad news. And we have to go there too. If I don't understand that my sin means separation from God, then Christ's forgiveness doesn't mean very much. I have to understand what my sin has done. And, and, and Stephen does that. He issues a call for judgment, but he also issues a call for forgiveness. And, and you can't say, well, in, in those verses in chapter 7, you know, when he, how, do, how does he say it? Uh, you stiff-necked people and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Whoa, you know, talk about insulting a Jewish person, right? Um, he said this being full of the Holy Spirit. Like, you can't read this and go, uh, Stephen, that's just suicidal, you know. There's some things you don't say to your superiors, and that's a good example of what you don't say, because that will get you stoned. But we know, because the Bible tells us over and over and over again, Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, whenever you read about people getting filled with the Spirit, usually the next verse says, they proclaim the gospel. If you read the whole book of Acts, I've done a study of every time they talk about being filled with the Spirit, and often, very, very often, most times it says, they proclaim the gospel as a result of being filled. Stephen was full of the Spirit. It's possible to be full of the Spirit and to announce God's judgment on somebody and do it in an appropriate way. But then you also see Stephen's incredible, compassionate heart when he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And so again, we know when, when the persecuted church in, in our world today, when they're receiving suffering and they're forgiving their captors, when they're forgiving their tormentors, when they're forgiving the persecutors, it is a statement from Christ. And it's a statement that says, what you're doing is going to result in hell, but I would rather forgive you. And you can have this forgiveness. 
God wants to forgive you. It's a message. Judgment and mercy. Judgment and forgiveness. This is what Stephen did. And I know for us, it just means people aren't going to like us for thinking there's one way to the Father. People aren't going to like us talking about hell, and yet it is a loving thing, as Stephen has displayed here. It is loving to show someone that they're separated from God. I think you ought to show the compassionate side of you, of you as well when you share those things. You've got to. Stephen did. Thirdly, uh, Stephen experienced spiritual intimacy and effectiveness during his life and death. This is important to say because uh, sometimes, I think as for us believers, we kind of get the sense of, what would, some of us, not all of us, <laughs> what would the church do without me? You know? If I didn't share my opinion, this place would fall apart. You know? Um, and and, and if, if you're one of those very confident Christians, it's not bad to be confident. I mean, it's good to walk with the Lord and be confident in Him. But, but don't take it to the degree that you think the church rises and falls on what you're doing. Because God's going to keep working. And what we see God doing is, I'm going to take one of the key early church players out of the picture. I'm taking, if the church says, give us seven incredible guys to help us feed the widows. Give us your seven best. And Stephen is one of the best. And God says, I'm taking one of your best out. Isn't Stephen the guy that worked wonders and miracles? Yeah, that's Stephen. Isn't Stephen the guy that, that uh, uh, debates with the Jewish people on, on, who, on the identity of Jesus? Yeah, that's Stephen. He's the one that was killed. Effectiveness. Never let your effectiveness make you think that God can't get things done in his church. We're a part of it. Now, some of you don't even know that you're a part of it. That's a whole different issue. Like, if you're not part of the body, if you're not serving, that's a whole different issue, a whole different sermon. That's for a different day. But we're all a piece of this church. And God's going to use us. And, and the awesome thing is, also, that in all of this, Stephen experiences incredible spiritual intimacy. And you know what that means. You put those two things together, and it's like, your closeness to Jesus could very well lead you into some risky behavior, risky language. Your closeness to Jesus may end up causing you to say something on the job that wasn't the right thing to say. Whoops, you know? But it's not really a whoops because you're full of the Spirit. Your closeness to Jesus is not going to lead you towards a safe life. It's probably going to lead you outside the gate of the city outside the city to the place where people die. I mean, that's where it's led many in the persecuted church. People that say, we're still going to gather and worship Jesus, even though people could break into these doors and gun us down, we're still going to worship here. And you say, that's so foolish. No, not really. Not really. That's boldness. That's faithfulness. That's spiritual intimacy and effectiveness. A group of people saying, we need each other. We're going to keep gathering. We're going to get built up. We're going to get closer to Christ. And if you kill me, okay, but we're still going to do this. 
gets to see Jesus standing at the right hand of God before they die? Stephen does, you know? Stephen does. To have that kind of intimacy is an awesome thing. And so when we read about uh, Christians that are giving their lives, Christians that are getting locked up, we dare not think that they were somehow ineffective or maybe they were too foolish in how they shared their faith. We can never go there because they're taking risks every day for the kingdom of God and they're paying the price. But they're close. They're close to Jesus in those moments because Stephen was close to Jesus. And thirdly and finally, Stephen's death pushed the gospel out into other cities. I want to show you how the story ends. Eh, it doesn't end. It's only beginning, but you know what I mean. Chapter 8, Saul and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, remember Philip, one of the seven that was chosen for the widows, along with Stephen? Philip's still alive. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice and coming out of many who had them. Many were, that were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. You know what I read here? I read that in Jerusalem, there were men, devout men, mourning over Stephen. In Jerusalem, there's people crying. In Samaria, there are people rejoicing. At the same time, there's rejoicing, there's crying. This is what the Lord does. He takes tragedy and He turns it into joy for somebody else. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. In Stephen's death, the Gospel gets pushed out further. Because when you kill somebody, there's consequences. When, when, we all know this. When you kill somebody, their story is told. Over and over and over. And what was tragic for them could end up being joy for somebody else. This is what God does. He pushes the gospel out when there's persecution. It goes further and further and further. The people that have died for Christ have died for a purpose. A gospel purpose. For the purpose of joy, they've given their lives. I just want to call your attention to that because it's a group of people we don't always think about. In August, I was reading the story of a, uh, a guy who shall remain nameless. You know, if you're on Dr. Pat's email list, you get these stories and you can pray for people. And she'll send them to your inbox or she'll send them to your, your mail address. And there's a guy named uh, Brother S, is what she called him, in, in a Muslim-controlled country. And Brother S is, is, is an evangelist, sharing his faith with other people. And in August, he reported that he had police 
tailing him, following him, interviewing people that he spoke with to see what he was saying. And he feared for himself and he feared for his family. So he put the word out and he said, please pray for me. And please pray for the people that I talk to. Because, because they know this is, this is getting hot right now. Pray that they would be bold and stand firm. And uh, I think it was October then, last month, there was a follow-up email. And Brother S said, it seems like all, all of the, the, the police following me, it's all just died off. It, they just stopped. He said, thank you for praying. Thank you for praying. So what do we do? Um, this is the last point. You know, What are we supposed to do? What can we do? Uh, we should be praying. We should be praying. Um, if you want, I'll leave, uh, I have some contact info for Dr. Pat. If you want to get those prayer emails or prayer letters, I really encourage you to get some of that. You know, get, in, get informed about what's going on in the world. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is another, um, another great organization. If you stay for cross-training, at 1045, we're going to pray for the persecuted church. And I'll, we'll show the video. Voice of the Martyrs every year makes an incredible, a true story video on someone's life that has been persecuted. Um, I never show them in the church service because usually they involve guns or weapons or violence. This one's no different. Can't show it, uh, at least here. But we'll show it during cross training. Um, and we're going to pray. Because that's what we've got to do. And, and then sometimes... Sometimes you get those glimpses where two months later, a brother S can write and say, the police has stopped following me. Praise God. Praise God. You get to see those things. And you get to see that, that brothers and sisters in Christ are being faithful to the point of death. You get to see those things. Uh, you can also give. You can give to Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, you can uh, give to Dr. Pat's ministry. She encourages persecuted Christians. You can give. You can go. You can go and encourage a church in another part of the world. Could be risky, but you can go. You can go permanently. I'm just saying, the Lord may be talking to you today, and you might say, I know you're talking about the persecuted church, but I feel like I'm supposed to go to the persecuted church. If God's telling you that, please talk to us. We want to hear that. Because we totally believe God is still calling people to go. He's not going to stop until Jesus comes back. Maybe he's telling you to go. Maybe it's short term and you're just going to do some encouragement to the church and then come back. But whatever it is, we've got to be involved. We've got to stand with our brothers and sisters. This is what we're called to. So I do encourage you to stay. Uh, again, 1045, we'll show the video and we'll do some praying together for the persecuted church. In your bulletins, you should see that there's an insert with different ways to pray. If you have to go right away, you can pray over those things on your own time at home. Uh, we just want to keep lifting them up. Let me pray. Worship team, if you would come up.